Welcome to episode number 72 of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and Reformation Roundtable is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Lewis County, Washington. The following is the audio from our Lord's Day service that took place on November 7th, 2021. During this worship service, we were blessed to hear the preaching of Dave Hatcher, specifically on the Dance of Covenant Renewal Worship. At Christ Covenant Church, we practice a form of worship that can feel or seem somewhat strange or foreign to modern evangelical Christians. And so, Pastor Hatcher goes into the why of why we worship the way we do. We hope you enjoy the audio, and we hope you join us for Lord's Day Worship. Visit lewiscounty.church for the latest times and locations. Enjoy the sermon. Our meditation and preparation for worship this morning comes from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Now, this is a longer passage than we normally read for our meditation, but today is All Saints Sunday. So I'm going to read the whole thing from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. As you listen, prepare your hearts for worship. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in their midst. Of, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Today is All Saints Day. It's All Saints Day Sunday. All Saints Day is always on November 1st, so it was last Monday. And the church has always used this Sunday, the Sunday following the date, as a time to remember. This is a time to remember the reality and the union between the church militant and the church triumphant. As you look around at those here today worshiping King Jesus... You were looking at the church militant. We are soldiers of Christ, every one of us, and we are engaged in warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. For the church militant, this is not a fight we get to pick and choose. We are already in the battle, and we'll either fight brave and we will either fight bravely or we'll retreat in cowardice. Pacifism is not an option. As a follower of Christ, you are by nature a sworn enemy of the world and all its worldliness. Jesus tells us in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, 
But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We are also battling fleshly lusts that rise up in us in an attempt to drive out our new life in Christ. Peter implores us to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And finally, we fight against the devil. Peter warns us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. So we're in a fight, but this fight doesn't last forever. One day, and it might be soon, or it could be decades from now, but one day you will die. And when you die, if you've been sealed in Christ, you will enter his glorious presence and you will find rest from the battle. You will be triumphant and you will have joined the throng that is the church triumphant. The church triumphant are all the saints of old who have gone on to glory and are now with Jesus from Abel to the present day. Our meditation from Revelation chapter 7 described these saints. In that meditation, the dead in Christ are promised that he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what awaits us, each of us sealed in Christ, but it awaits us because we aren't there yet. We still have fighting to do. We have been given a task, and our task is the task of heavenizing the world to bring forth God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we must do this as long as God keeps us on earth. And we should do it with joy, with joy in our hearts and with the praises of God in our mouths, all while we victoriously take forth Christ's kingdom into all the world. In Psalm 149, it says, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths. And then it goes on and it says, And a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. We've got work to do. But when we join the church triumphant, we will always be in the presence of God, continually and completely without sin. But we, the church militant, are moving from glory to glory. And since we are now the church militant, we have been called to a different glory. The glory of entering his presence in worship this morning and right now. Therefore, we must respond rightly with reverence and awe and confess to him our sins, trusting in his promise of forgiveness. So, as you are able, will you please kneel with me? Scripture says in 1 John 3, verses 1 through 2, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we, shall be seen, because we shall see him as he is. So people of God, hear the good news. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thank you. From Romans chapter 12, let me read just the first two verses. These are the words of God. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that we have this book, your word, in front of us, on our lips and tongues and in our ears. Plunge it deep into our hearts and souls, that we might be fed and nourished, built up and changed, transformed by the renewing of our minds, and all to the praise of your gracious glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's great to be with you again. It was uh, Pentecost Sunday, your first official Sunday that I came down. Uh, it was the last time I've been here, but it feels like it hasn't been that long because uh, we pray for you all the time at, uh, at Trinity Church, and I hear good reports from Tyler um, uh, as he comes down and, and ministers the word to you. It's, it's wonderful to send him down here to be a part of this as well. Um, exciting things going on here in this church. You guys, uh, it was wonderful sharing about you um, at, uh, at the um, council and presbytery meetings um, because there are so many churches that are trying to get started, a lot of, lot of mission churches. Uh, and, and one of the things that we're really excited about down here um, as you guys are assembling and getting going is um, what great leadership, what great families, what great participation. Um, there's a lot of just really good patterns I see happening already within this church, and I think you have a wonderful opportunity to take uh, this county for the Lord with this little band of, of believers that you have. You, you guys are a faithful, a faithful group, and we hear wonderful things about it. So remain, remain that way, steadfast. Um, and I would like to, this, this morning, coming out of this passage, talk to you a little bit about why in the world we do what we do in this worship service. Um, so it, it wasn't that Joe sat down one day and said, I know what we'll do. Uh, we'll just put together an order of worship and, and that's what we'll do because that's what I want to do. Um, that's not what went on all. And we didn't just send down kind of what our, was our favorite way of doing things. I know that many of us have come from a variety of different worship traditions. Um, I, I, I wonder how many different worship traditions, especially if you look over maybe the course of your life. I've been in I've participated in all kinds of different worship traditions. I've served in all kinds of different worship traditions over the years. Um, and, and oftentimes what we try to do, especially when you're church shopping, is you're trying to figure out, well, what's the be- what, what is the best tradition? What's the best way that we should gather together and worship God? And the measuring stick, oftentimes, because we call it church shopping, is that we have a consumer mentality. And oftentimes what happens is we, we ask ourselves as we leave the worship service, well, was that worship good for me? Did, 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 it, did it minister to me? Was it good for me? Did I feel worshipful as I left? Was I pleased with the worship? Ra- rarely do we ask ourselves as we walk out the door, instead of was I pleased with the worship, rarely do we walk out the door and say, was the Lord pleased? Was this something that pleased the Lord? Forget about me. This worship service is not about me. Um, it's, it's about the Lord. Was the Lord pleased with... Uh, and, and then, but then the question becomes, well, how do I know if the Lord will be pleased? And of course, across all the spectrums, in terms of faithful, um, Bible-believing Christians, one of the ways we know for sure, whether one testing measuring stick is whether or not um, our hearts were honest and sincere before God, whether we were lifting up our praise with lips that were not forked tongues, that we meant what we said and it was coming from hearts that were honest and, and, and open to the work of God's spirit. Okay, we all agree on that. 
But now what else? What would, the God, what would God have us do within? Or does it not matter at all? Is that, is that all that he is, is concerned about for us? So the service of worship here, um, along with that, our church, you would find very, very similar. Uh, but there are some differences. But overall, there's a pattern of worship that we believe is following and has been instructed to us from the scriptures themselves. We're trying to gather that information from the, from the scriptures. And so it's, it's in our attempt to answer the, the question, what would make God pleased? What, what's his intention for us to gather together? Um, and especially to gather together on the Lord's Day at his summons. What is it that would please him? The liturgy reflects our attempt to biblically and logically flow uh, or follow a flow of covenant renewal. What do I mean by covenant renewal? Well, well if, if you, as you go through the scriptures, you see that God establishing covenants with his people and renewing those covenants, adding to them, blossoming, blossoming them out over and over again. Um, you also see God regularly saying, you are my people and I am your God. And there's this reminder that is supposed to take place um, after the flood. Uh, God gives the rainbow and he gives the rainbow so that we can tell God to remember the covenant. Right. We're supposed to tell God to remember. So there's this idea of remind, reminding and renewal of a covenant that is taking place um, in, in, the, in the work of the liturgy. This morning, what I want to do is examine um, kind of the, the sections of the liturgical practice that is going on here. And, and what I want to do is I want to not just give a um, kind of a theological and, and philosophical and even logical expl- explanation as to what, why you're doing what you're doing. But I want to give some practical guidelines for you as well. So what I want, what, when, you, when we're done with this, and, and I know I was talking to Joe about this, I understand that, that he's explained a lot of these different um, sections at different times as you've gone through the worship service. I want to put it all together in a practical way so that you think, you think about it more in terms of steps or in terms of a dance that you're going through. And that not just you individually, but y'all corporately. Uh, in fact, in, in Romans chapter 12, in this passage, you've probably, because we all, have, we all come to the word um, as individuals, as we should, but we rarely think of coming to the word and hearing the word being spoken to all of us corporately, speaking to the family of God, to the children of God, or the church corporately. So look, if you have your Bible open, look again at Romans chapter 12, and let me let me just put a little southern accent on it for just a moment, if this might help. I say, I beseech y'all, not you individually, I beseech you, the church, as Paul's writing to the church at Rome. I beseech y'all, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that y'all, in, in, as one body, that y'all present your, y'all's bodies, it's all plural, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is y'all's, Reasonable, and that's actually reasonable is where we get logic. Logikos is the Greek word. It's your logical service. And by the way, that word service is where we get our word liturgy. It's your logikos litreia. It's, it's your reasonable, logical liturgy. Okay? So I want y'all to come together and present y'all's bodies together in a particular kind of way. A living sacrifice, he's going to say. So that, that should... That what happens is as soon as he said living tra- sacrifice, then things should start to come to our mind. What did he mean by that? He's not just pulling that out of thin air. What does Paul mean? He says, so I want you all to do this. Living sacrifice, this is your 
logic, this makes sense. This follows from whom I am, from what I've taught you, from, from what we are to understood about what it means to come before God. How are we to come before God? And so then, he, then he's continuing on. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of y'all's mind. Not just your individual mind, but the corporate mind, the corporate mind of, of this church, these people. And so, so that you all may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, as I mentioned, this word service is where we get our word liturgy. Don't let the word liturgy scare you. Um, have you ever heard about, so what church, kind of church do you go to? And someone says, well, we go to a liturgical church. And then someone else says, well, we go to a non-liturgical church. Well, that's not possible. Every church has a liturgy. Uh, even a church that says, well, we go in and then we just kind of let the spirit move. That, well, guess what? That's what they plan to do. That's the liturgy, right? So you can't avoid a liturgy. The question is, what kind of liturgy and how did you develop it? Where did you get it from? So we all have a liturgy. And so, and so this word just means the way that we are serving the Lord, the way we're coming before him and worshiping the Lord. So he says that the kind of liturgy he wants is a living sacrifice, living sacrifice. And so Paul's bringing to mind the sacrificial liturgy of the Old Testament in telling New Testament believers how to approach God, something which only can be done by the mercies of God. Um, In the very beginning of chapter 12, he says, I want you to do this by the mercies of God. And I think by the mercies of God, he's pointing to the first 11 chapters of Romans. First 11 chapters of Romans, chapters, Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, Gentiles are all under sin and condemned. Romans chapter 2, Jews are all, under, uh, uh, they're, they're no better off, either. they're also all condemned. Chapter 3, we're all, we all fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 4, and, and only saved by faith, even like, just like Abraham was only saved by faith. Chapter 5, um, it, and it doesn't matter how bad the sin is upon you, grace can cover so much more. Chapter 6, grace covers so much more, but don't think that that means that you could just go and sin however you want. You need to, you you need to follow God. You, you, you have not just been freed from the, from the guilt of sin, but from the power of sin. You're able to follow God. Chapter 7, the, 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 the battle that goes on between the flesh and the old man and the new man. Chapter 8, but in the, but in the Holy Spirit, we are completely made nude. We, are, we have this great assurance of salvation. Nothing can, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Chapter 9, 10, and 11. Well, wait a second. If nothing can separate us from the love of God, then how come Israel is separated? And then the whole doctrine of election is laid out, and it ends with this glorious chapter, uh, end of chapter 11. For um, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out it's all God who does it from beginning to end and so by the mercies of God here we are why do you believe because of the mercies of God why are your sins forgiven because of the mercies of God why are your eyes open when so many other eyes are darkened it's not because you're smarter it's because of the mercies of God you know, why are you being brought up in a Christian family, children? Because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God, come now and offer your body as a living sacrifice. Well, what does he mean by living sacrifice? Something that's connected to something that we learn to from the dead sacrifices or the sacrifices that were killed in the Old Testament. What does he mean by this? Well, we know that the sacrifices of animals are done away with in the once for all sacrifice of Christ, right? We know it's all been done away, all completed. The book of Hebrews, we we learn that all of those sacrificial ceremonial laws are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Once for all sacrifice is, is, is ours in Christ. But Paul doesn't discard the language of sacrificial offerings. He he brings them to mind on purpose. 
establishing a pattern for our approach to God. Because we are the new temple, we don't go to the old temple. We don't all have to pack up. I, we drove quite a ways to get to church, but at least I didn't have to go to Jerusalem. Okay? So, but, but before, all of those sacrifices had to be brought to one location, to Jerusalem. And um, what, what happened after Christ is that we become now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are the temple of God. We are the place where the Spirit dwells. And so we are the place where the sacrifices are brought. We, in fact, are the sacrifices. We corporately are that sacrifice as we come. And if you think that's funny or weird to think about for a minute, it's going to get a lot weirder in just a couple of minutes. Okay? It's going to get a lot weirder in just a couple of minutes. Watch this. Okay. So because we are that new temple, it makes sense that the Old Testament sacrificial system while it has all been fulfilled in Christ, informs us as to how we are to draw near. It begins to answer that question. Well, what does God want us to do? Okay, what happens there? Well, what what is supposed to happen, according to chapter uh, 12, verse 2, is that our minds are to be transformed. We are to be, have a renewing of our minds, transformed by the renewing or covenant renewal of our minds. Now, um, if, you, if you have a Bible, you want to just turn to uh, Leviticus chapter 9. I'm not going to make the full case for this, but I'm just going to show you one place where you can see the very pattern that we end up following with three ma- th- the three major sacrifices that throw, throw up, show up throughout the Old Testament system. And they are the, the sin offering, the ascension or whole burnt offering, and then the peace offering. Whenever those three offerings show up in the book of Leviticus, they always showed up in this particular order. There are other offerings for different times and some offerings that are added to it, but read with me in chapter 9, just the first four verses. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering. That would be a whole burnt or an ascension offering from the Hebrew. Without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering. Also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. So the day that the Lord was going to appear, Aaron is told um, by Moses to bring these three offerings with an attached great offering, but just these three become these main sacrificial offerings in a particular order. And the order makes sense as you begin to think about what each one of those offerings was doing or pointing towards, even in the fulfillment of Christ. So, um, So another way to look at this is that as we gather before the Lord, we are cleansed, sin offering, consecrated, whole burnt offering, And then we commune with God as friends in peace. This was the flow of the Old Testament sacrifice. The sin offering made the way to approach God. The ascension offering consecrated one's whole life to God and his work through us. And the peace offering provided a fellowship meal with God. So think of it this way again. Why do we have a sin offering? Well, you've just walked into the presence of God. Okay, like when you walk into your mother's house, you need to wipe your shoes off because you probably brought a little bit of dirt in with you. While we are completely saved by Christ Christ, and all of our sins are forgiven, as we come into his presence, we need to remember that we need to confess our sins. We, 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 we may not walk in here with unconfessed sins. We need to remember that we are sinners. And so the sin offering reminds us to come before God and say we are sinners and saved only by the mercy of God. Forgive us. 
We hear the words of assurance. We're welcomed into his presence. And we come to the time of the consecration. The, whole, the, the burnt sacrifice was a whole burnt offering. The entire animal was offered up to God in the burnt offering. But the word doesn't just have the idea of, of everything being burnt. It actually is pointing to the smoke. The smoke of that whole burnt offering is rising, ascending. And so the picture that was taking place in that offering was this, was this animal that was your substitute rising up before God. And God would consume that offering. Okay? So God would consume you. He would partake of you. And in that partaking of you, you are then transformed as well. You're offering yourself up through that animal. Now, we're told to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices um, instead because one has already been sacrificed for us. But that time of consecration is that time before God where we are offered before him. And then finally, the peace offering was the only offering that you partook of, the, of what was offered before God. And then with the priest, you, your family, all partook of it as well in a communion meal. So you partook of that which had been offered for you. This begins, this leads the pattern to what you see happen in our worship service. The, the sin offering, the ascension offering, and the peace offering. So, remember now, okay, so now let me get it, let's do the weird part. Ready? It's All Saints Day. I didn't think about this until I, I was reminded that this morning that this is All Saints Day. In All Saints Day, we, we do remember that the church triumphant is already before, that have gone before us, are already before the Lord. Um, in, in heaven. They're, they're before the face of Jesus right now, worshiping on the Lord's day. I mean, the clock's ticking there. It's real time and space, and, and there they are, worshiping before God. In, 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 uh, in the past, you oftentimes had churches, and as you came to church, you might have walked, right, you have, you might have rock, walked by your uh, grandfather, or your great-grandfather, or your great-uncle. Where was he or she? And in, in the graveyard right next to the graveyard, right next to the church, Right? And there they were, and you know what people do. People oftentimes will go and they will stand next to the graveside and they will remember almost a sense of communing with, right? A sense, right? Well, well, actually, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. When we gather here, once we are called, called and summoned by God in the name of the Lord, we are brought into the presence of the heavenlies and covenantally... Um, uh, it was Doug Wilson who, who taught me this. He says, almost at the, at the call to worship, it's almost as though the, 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 the uh, roof opens up and we are all lifted up into the heavens. Now, where does he get that kind of an idea? Hebrews chapter 12. So turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and remember, and remember the, um, what we are told or what, what the uh, message is in Hebrews chapter 12 to the Jewish Christians who are tempted to go back to Jerusalem and go back to the sacrifices in the book of Hebrews, what we're being told is, no, Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better Moses. Jesus is the better Joshua. Jesus is the better Sabbath. Jesus is the, is, is the better priesthood. Don't go back to Jerusalem. You go back to Jerusalem. He's writing this in about 65, 66 AD. You go back to Jerusalem, you're going to burn. Why? Because Rome's about to descend upon Jerusalem, and it's all going to come down. And, and so then he says, you don't have to go to Jerusalem because, and, and Hebrews is probably a sermon that is being given. You don't have to go to Jerusalem because you've already gone to heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. 
For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches the mountain it will be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Okay, you haven't come to that. You haven't come to Mount Sinai. Where it was so, so afraid people were falling down in trembling fear. Please don't kill us, God, please. Right? And you could, we could all say, well, praise God that we're not in that kind of a terrifying place. But what he's going to say is you've come to a more terrifying place. You've come to something greater than Mount Sinai. So you haven't come there. And then he goes on in verse 21 and says this, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. You have come. Not you're going one day. You have come to Mount Zion. Where is that? It's the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. So you're not going back to the old Jerusalem. Imagine being the Hebrew reader. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. No, I'm, I'm off here in dispersion. I'm being persecuted by, by my brother Jews because I'm following Christ. I've lost my job. I've lost my family. I'm running for my life. I'm in a teeny little house church somewhere, and I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to go back to the glorious temple. And he says, you don't need to. You've gone to a greater temple. You've gone to a greater city. When you and the seven little believers are huddled here in the name of Jesus on the Lord's day, you've gone to heaven. Let's continue on. How do I know that? Because you're before an innumerable company of angels. Not only that, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. In other words, you've come to those who have gone before you, that have been registered in heaven, and are there. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just, just men made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel covenantally speaking, you've left earth and you've come up into the heavenlies where you're get, where we have gathered with the angels and all the churches all over the world today that are worshiping along with all those who have gone before us. And this is why this is, this is one of the reasons why you say we believe in the Catholic church in the apostles creed. It's not because we believe in the Roman church. It's not the Roman Catholic church. That's not, that's what we're talking about. We believe in one church, the Catholic church, And God meets us, greets us, and brings us into his presence every Lord's Day into the heavenlies as we gather on that that particular day in his name. That's what's going on. This is why Lord's Day worship is our highest privilege on this earth. Okay, so that means there's some practical applications for each of us, for all of us, as we consider coming together on this day. So let's go through this for just a moment. Let the, let, the liturgy, let the liturgy be a deacon to you. Okay, what do I mean by that? A deacon is a table server. A deacon is somebody who serves you, makes it easier for you to eat because they bring you the food, they bring you the utensils. They are, they're the servants. Our deacons in a church are going to make sure the doors are open and the heat is on. And the, I understand you guys had a pretty hot summer in here. Where were your deacons? Should have been fanning you. and Right? Yeah. Um, the deacons take care of our physical needs. Well, let the liturgy be your deacon to help you come into the presence of God. Think of it that way, okay? So with these principles in mind, we can see how the order of service and the elements of service ministers to us, helping us in drawing near to God. The liturgy is not magical. 
There's nothing magical about it at all, but it is helpful if entered into by faith with hearts that desire to draw near to God. A lot of people don't like high liturgy churches, and they say, I don't like high liturgy churches, the churches that have lots of these steps because it feels like you're just going through the motions, which, of course, you can. You can. But I've been in very low liturgy churches, and I've watched people just go through the motions, too. Okay? So I, I, I just think that argument doesn't work. But it is true. You can just go through the motions, and you can make that, those steps um, make, make you not think. Okay? But that's like saying, and therefore you want to throw out the liturgy, but that's like saying we should never learn to dance in a beautiful ballroom, glorious dance with the one that we love the most. Because if I learned how to dance and, 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 and followed the liturgy, all of the steps, then I wouldn't be thinking at all of the beloved. Unless I've learned the dance so well, I've learned the steps so well that the liturgy, the dance provides me the opportunity to show and enjoy the fellowship, the love between me and my beloved, right? That's what, it, that's what it means to be able to dance wonderfully. You don't even think about the liturgy anymore. You don't even think about the dance steps anymore. The dance steps allow you to enjoy the presence of the one that you're dancing with. Let liturgy direct you in that kind of way and then consider the steps of liturgy. Uh, and, and I'm noticing as I, as I come here, I was thinking, I was watching us do our liturgy and i was thinking about how um it, it can often be we have people new people come to us all the times and it just feels awkward what am i doing now when do i stand why am i reading well oh, i gotta do responsive and it's there's all these steps um it reminded me of going to a, a country bar where they're doing when all of a sudden all these guys get up and, and they're all doing those those line dance things you know you see the line dance and then someone invites you to come up and do it or I've, I've been at a wedding where someone's come on let's go up to the line dance and you're up there and you're going and it just I don't know how to do this and it just feels uncomfortable and you can't do it you want to walk why do they do that you know you just want to and so we want to give up liturgy we just want to dance like this just do my own thing right and then, and then you get old enough and you look at a group of people doing this and you just go, that just looks so stupid. <laughs> they don't know how to dance, you know? And you look at a group of people who really know how to dance together. It looks powerful and beautiful and connected, right? Well, so keep that in mind as you think about learning the dance of the liturgy of what's going on here. We are all together to present our bodies as a living sacrifice before God by the mercies, by his mercies. And we are to do so with, with something in mind that we would be blessed by God and that we would bless his name. So this is why we follow this particular pattern. We have the call to worship. The minister on behalf of Jesus summons and welcomes us to worship and we respond as though Jesus were summoning you. We proceed into his courts with praise. Even then we are joining with God in the song. We are joining with God. In Psalm 22, this is the voice of Jesus where he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm. And in that, this is the, during the resurrection portion of that psalm. And Jesus is saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. In Zephaniah 3.17, um, listen, the Lord your God in your midst the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So God summons you here and then he sings over. He's so, he is so glad to be in fellowship with us. He sings over us. 
Whenever I think about that, I, I regularly think, I wonder how exuberant he is singing. I wonder how militantly he is singing. I wonder how into it he is singing. And I wonder if he's watching me. I wonder if he's watching us. I wonder if he wants to join in with rejoicing over one another. Rejoicing over him. Rejoicing with all the angels in his company. So my question to you is this. Do you consciously act as though we and you as a part of the body have been summoned? When I got this in my head, my kids were little. One of the things we would do is we would be, we would be driving to church and we, we would sing a couple of uh, a pre-set songs that we would sing every Sunday on the way to church. And then I would say, kids, where are we going? And they would say, we're going to heaven. Not to church. We're going to heaven. And I'd say, who's going to heaven with us? And they say, the Morrises, the Johnsons. And they'd name all the other, the other families that they knew. Because we were all going together. We were thinking about all of us being summoned. Um, you've been invited here. And you have an experience of getting up in the morning and deciding whether or not you're going to go to church today, right? You know you've been invited. You know you've been summoned. Are we going to go today or not? And you need to remember who summoned you. Like, it is an invitation. And there are providential times when you can't, when you can't attend. But you received an invitation from the king of kings. <laughs> Don't take it lightly in your decision whether or not you are going to attend. He summoned you here. And so you've been summoned in here, and, and then if you're thinking that way, now you think, how do I prepare to be summoned? How do I prepare my heart? How do I prepare my body? How do I prepare my kids? How do I prepare, prepare my relationships before? Am I right with people? Right? Because I'm I'm, we are all about together to, to come before him um, and offer our praise. And so we end up having to remember to confess our sins, which we do here as we're ushered into the presence of God. This is the time of confession of sin, the purification or sin offering. We're made painfully aware, you should be made painfully aware of your own sinfulness and the sinfulness of our people. This covenant renewal service pattern you can see in Isaiah chapter 6. And and when Isaiah is brought up in a vision before the Lord, and and he knows he's before the Lord, and he hears the angels singing, he doesn't jump in and go, wow, this is great, I'm in heaven. He goes, woe is me. Woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. One of the, one of the aspects of coming into this place as we enter into, and I don't mean into the physical place, I mean into the worship, uh, the worship pattern, is you come into his presence and you should have this sense of, what are we thinking? Well, what are we doing here? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and we are about to see the Lord in his presence in a particular way. Um, Ezekiel, when he's in the presence of the Lord, he says, um, when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking to me. In Revelation 1.17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. By the mercies of God, you're here. So we confess our sins, which is the right response as we experience the holiness of God, who it is that has called us and what we need to do. God then summons us to confess our sins and sinfulness, both individually and corporately. Sometimes your sins that sometimes we confess our sins individually, we confess our individual sins, and sometimes we confess our sins as citizens of this country. 
We confess the, the sins of our country, of our people. We confess the sins of our church, maybe. But we confess both individually and corporately before God. God then assures of his, of his gracious pardon and cleansing. We respond with words of thanks. You, you do it by singing the doxology and lifting of your hands. And, and then faith, reciting the Apostles' Creed or some other creed. And then with singing and rejoicing. Now, so think about this. Um, do you understand the need to confess your sins? Do you understand that as you come in? It's not, this is not just going through the motions. You're coming, if it's true, if all these things I've said are true, then you're coming before the presence of God and you need to make sure you're clean and you need to hear from him the assurance of pardon. You really, your, your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Uh, um, I had, a, I had a, a couple in my church um, that I was giving counseling for and one of the things that they had grown up in a church that was harsh with regard to sin um, and, and they, didn't, they didn't necessarily believe that they were forgiven. They didn't believe in the mercies of God, full and free grace. They believed they really needed to do more to earn God's favor and earn God's forgiveness. But you, don't, you can't earn a gift. And as I talked to them about um, needing to say, um, your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus, I told them because they were having such a hard time believing it. In fact, the, the wife told me, I just, when we go through those motions at church, I confess my sins, but I don't really believe God's forgiven me. And I said, well, that's another sin to confess. That, that's, a, that's another sin to confess um, because you're not believing God. And so we walked through many verses about the forgiveness of God, about the free mercies and free grace. And I said, here's what I want the two of you to do. Next Sunday, and I'm going to watch you. Next Sunday, when I say your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ, I want you to say thanks be to God and high five one another. Because it's that good. It's that free. It's that immediate. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. And having been forgiven, you're welcomed into his courts. And now, just like a sacrifice, you're about to be cut up in pieces by the word of God. Rearranged before his altar. Made a perfect sacrifice before him. He's going to do it. He's going to minister to you by the word, by the prayers of the saints, by, by, the, by the preaching and singing of God's word. This is, the ascension, this is the ascension consecration offering. God, by means of his word and spirit, cuts us open, rearranges us, sets us right, and welcomes us to do the same with the world. So we offer up prayers and petitions. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. We're instructed to. We're instructed to pray um, either the Lord's Prayer or follow in the pattern of the Lord's Prayer in, in our prayers. And then we give ourselves to his work upon our hearts by means of his word, which is like a two-edged sword, it says in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What do you think of when you think of a two-edged sword? A lot, of, a lot of us think of kind of the brave heart, you know, big, huge, broad sword. That's not what the word is. It's a, it's a sword that was about uh, 12 to 16 inches long. It was, a, uh, it was like a surgeon's knife. It was used by the Levites in the cutting up of the animal. Sharp, two-edged, cutting up knife. Why? Because that, that offering had to be cut up just right. All the fat had to be removed. The entrails, it all had to be divided up just perfectly with that knife. That's the word of God, cutting you up just perfectly, rearranging you and setting you on the altar and lifting you up. That's the picture you should have. Um, the word of God is like a two-edged sword. Two-edged sword. Which 
pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As that word is being preached, he's getting into your soul. He's getting into your mind. He's getting busy with all of your life, all of it, with the word of God. You should feel it. You should experience it. You should give yourself to it. And there's no creature, he says, hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So this is not simply a time to receive the information of a lecture. This is not a lecture. This is not a lecture. This is knife work upon your heart. This is the work of the Spirit upon your soul. And so, um, and so we respond with our amens and with singing and praying. Therefore, with one eye on the text... Do you actively submit yourself to the preached word? I know what it's like. I, I, I don't have to do what you have to do every week, which is listen to somebody else preach. <laughs> I don't have to do that. In some ways, it's easier to preach. I can, I can stay focused because I, 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 I know I have to say the next sentence. You can wander off for a little while. Nobody will know it, and you'll re-engage with me in a little, little bit, won't you? Right? But are you, are you are, not for my benefit, for your benefit, for the benefit of the body, are you giving yourself to the preaching of God's word? Are you looking with one eye to the text to see if what he's saying is true? Are you following the logical order and are you letting God's spirit speak to you? Yeah, you know where this applies to you, young man? You know where this applies to, applies to you, old woman? <laughs> you know where? This, here, uh, here's where this applies to you. You know where this applies to your church? Do you know where this applies to your nation, to this world, this generation? Are you thinking that way? And then do you consider through the week what God spoke to you here and let that word work continue? Do you receive it in its repetition like good food? First uh, Peter 2, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you're walking in the spirit, God's word is like milk to a hungry baby. You ever seen a hungry baby who wants some milk? Hard to get his or her mind off of anything else, right? Well, if the Spirit's cleansed you, you're hungry. You're hungry for his word, and you go after it when it's offered. Philippians 3, 1, um, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. It doesn't matter if that word, if you, you say, well, I've already, I've already studied that passage. I already know what that passage is all about. Well, if it's food, that's like someone saying, uh, you're serving hamburgers? I've already had a hamburger. I already know what a hamburger tastes like. I don't need a hamburger. What? It's food. <laughs> Eat it. It's food for your soul. Eat it again. Take it in again and again and again. This is the ascension offering. This is the consecration where Jesus is transforming us. Our minds are being renewed. Okay? And then when he's done, we're invited to the piecemeal, the communion offering, or the, pe- the peace offering. Christ is not re-sacrificed in any way at the Lord's Supper, and there's no veneration of the elements. We're not worshiping the elements in any sort of way. But by the Spirit, by means of the Spirit, we really do partake of Christ's body and blood by faith, and we do so in a meal of thanksgiving and peace with God. Now, a a whole other sermon needs to be gone over, at least one, in terms of understanding communion. But this is what I, I believe is taking place. We, by means of the Spirit are partaking through this ritual of the body and of the of the bread and the wine we are partaking partaking of Christ's body and blood it's not in or around or under the elements but in the midst of the ritual we are sitting at peace fellowshipping with God 
just just at the at the table. Um, and here's where I think there's there's the magic of the table that's worth thinking about. For instance, um, Kim and I we came down, spent the night here, and we went to a, a restaurant this morning for breakfast. We sit, sitting there, and you're in a t- you're at a table, and and the two of us are sitting about you know about this far apart from each other, right? And a, and a gentleman comes in and he sits at a table. He's a little bit further away, but let's just say he's right at the very next table next to us. He would have been about that far away from me right here also, right? Now, he's, now Kim's sitting right here this, this distance, and I'm super comfortable that this guy's over here this distance because he's in a different table. But if he had come and sat right here at my table, I'd have been really uncomfortable. It would have felt odd, right? All these tables. This is my table. Or my wife and I are sitting here. Ooh, what are you doing here, you know? There's something magical about table. There's something magical about table fellowship. In fact, one of the the wonderful things about table fellowship is get people in your home and around your table, and you'll be amazed at how you build relationship. You don't have to do anything else. You just come come to the table, and you give them food, and you just watch what happens. There is something magical about table fellowship. Now, I think all of that springs from or comes from this center, which is the table of the Lord, where we partake and you're sitting at the table with the Lord, partaking of the one who had been sacrificed on your behalf in peace and fellowship with God. That's what's going on in the peace offering. So it's not a time for, and that means communion is not a time to feel really bad about your sins. You already did that in sin offering, right? We already took care of that. You're clean, you're forgiven. The communion meal is more of a celebration, peace. Um, uh, it's, it's this time of we love one another. And look around. This is the one body. And it's not a time of morbid introspection. It's a time of gratitude and fellowship. Do you see it this way? Do you prepare? Do you, do you aim there? Are you aiming there now? God has been dealing with you. Are you aiming there now? You're about to come to the table with the Lord and with one another. And then afterwards is the commissioning. In each one of these steps, God initiates, and then we respond. Even with the commissioning, it is so. We respond to all he has done by lifting our hands and giving him praise. He then sends us with his hands and a blessing, um, which is what Jesus did before his ascension. Luke 24, 50. Before he left, lifted his hands, and he blessed, the, he blessed his followers. And then he left. And so assuring us that, that he has already prepared the good works for us now to go and do. We are God's workmanship. Prepared, in, um, prepared by Christ Jesus for the good works which he has prepared for us to walk in. So you have, a, have this sense, do you leave with a sense of his hand of blessing upon all that it is before you this week? Call to worship, summoned here. Confession of sin, ah, woe is me. Taking care of that, brought into the very presence of God with all of his people in praise and worship with all the angels, rearranged by his word, fed and nurtured, Having been rearranged and made perfect, you've been made perfect again, renewed. You sit now at the table of peace, and then he sends you. And by the way, when he sends you, he, did, he does not say, go, the, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations. He does not say to go into the world and make disciples of the nations. He says to therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. And the reason that therefore is very, very important, because the first thing he says to you before he sends us out into the world, into that scary world, into that workplace, into those situations, those trials that did not go away. We were caught up into heaven, we were made right, and now we got a week of problems ahead of us, right? And he says, therefore go. Why does he say therefore? Because before he sends us out, he says again and again and again to us, he says this, all authority 
in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You've been in heaven. Now you're going to be back on earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and you disciple the nations. You take dominion of the world. You take, care, you take those trials by faith and you walk in them, believing God has given them to you for the, as good works for you to walk in. And I'll see you again next Lord's Day. Now, of course, we're going to walk with Jesus all during the week, but I'll see you all next Lord's Day as we come together again and we offer up our praises and renewed by him over and over again. You should leave with a sense of being sent by God just like you had a sense of being brought here by God. You're about to be sent out into the world to be his ambassadors. And so you should have that sense of commissioning that, that's, being, that's being given to you. So, and then we are a living sacrifice. We remain a living sacrifice all week long. The truth that we have been brought into the heavenlies with Christ, that we have renewed covenant with our God, that we have responded through the dance of this liturgy up to and including being sent out from here in the world has a continuous and profound effect on the rest of your week. And if I think that it's this powerful, why don't we just stay here and worship God forever? Because <laughs> he doesn't want us to. We don't get to stay. We're not supposed to stay. Not yet. Not yet. As, as, power, as powerful as it is, we are not supposed to gather and praise God 24-7 in this assembly. We are to live out that living sacrifice by how we love with the love of Christ minister with the power of Christ, take dominion with the call of Christ, and gladly declare the lordship of Jesus in our words and deeds. We have been prepared and renewed to victoriously continue in our battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, having spent time as a community of faith, not just individuals, not just a bag of marbles that all got brought together, but as a body knit together as one. We have spent time as a community of faith at the throne of grace. The dance of the covenant renewal helps us to do this together, trained and focused. By faith, then, you are summoned to come and join us in the worship of our God. Nothing light and breezy. It's not about, someone told me, they, they, they were at this church and um, the pastor got up and he said, um, he, he, started, he started singing a song and um, and it was some kind of, some pop song or something. And, he, and I said, well, how did he sing it? He said, well, he had a karaoke machine. So he turned the karaoke machine on and he started singing the song to make some illustration and he started dancing. And then when, when, and then when he was done, he was saying, I just think it's really important that church is fun. And, and the guy said, actually, it felt a little awkward, not so much fun. <laughs> when, 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 church, when you think of church with a consumer mentality, then it's all about getting the consumers to want to buy the product. When the King of Kings has summoned you to his, to his dance, when he summoned you to his event, you think about coming before him and helping all of everyone else to be prepared to come before him. He is holy and mighty and gracious and merciful. He's rejoicing over us, but this is nothing light and breezy at all. It shouldn't be. But everything's strong and hopeful with triumph in the wind as we level another blow against the gates of Hades. Jesus says the gates of Hades will not prevail against this kingdom that we are. This kingdom, the gates of Hades will not prevail. This is where Jesus has promised that they will not prevail, right here. Another way of looking at the worship service is that all of us together with a big rampart taking one more blow at the gates of Hades. And it will not prevail against the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Heavenly Father, your word has been preached, and this two-edged sword has cut. Well, then you do your work, Lord. Bring forth life in those who are dead and renew life in your people whom you love. Glorify your name by equipping us by this word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Lord's Supper, as we just heard, is, is the time when God's people enjoy union and communion with Christ and his body, which is the church. We partake of this meal with joy and gladness, not heavy hearts or navel-gazing. We serve a king who gives his own broken body and shed blood for his people for the joy that was set before him. Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again because his heart, soul, mind, and strength were filled with joy. There is a story about one of the saints of old on All Saints Day here. Uh, Alfred the Great. If you know who Alfred the Great was, he was the king of the Saxons. And Alfred the Great had suffered a defeat in battle to the pagan Vikings. And in response to this defeat, Alfred told them, You are victorious and we are defeated. But you are miserable in your victory and we are joyful in defeat. Alfred was following the example of our Lord. While Jesus hung on the cross... His miserable enemies thought that they had defeated him. And they never for a moment realized it was joy that put him there. Joy to obey his father. Joy to save his people from their sins. Joy to save the whole world aching and groaning for salvation. So as we partake of the bread and the wine, know that Yahweh sent his son in joy so that we might also have joy in him. We are promised that the Lord has chosen us, has chosen Zion, and that her saints will shout for joy. So for those of you who have been sealed in Christ through baptism and who are not under discipline from your local church, come and welcome to Jesus. So the charge is this. Lord's Day worship is our highest honor here on earth. We've been worshiping covenantally with all the saints And we might be tempted to be like Peter and want to build a tabernacle here and never come down off of the mountain. But it is now time to go back out, come down from the mountain, go back out into the world and see what our Father has set loose to which we might preach the gospel. So go and take the good news of King Jesus back out into the world, ready to do the good works God has prepared for you. But remember that this time together, this time of worship, is our highest privilege, and we should yearn again throughout the week to go into the house of the Lord. Now hear the benediction. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.